0: For years, my wife has wanted Calvary Chapel to have a live nativity scene on our lawn here at the church. She'd love to see us build a stable, import some livestock, a couple of cows, a few sheep, no big deal. Then she wants me to recruit some able bodied actors who don't mind withstanding some chilly nights. Finally, we could wire up a star. Borrow a camel or two from the Yellow River Game Ranch. I mean, go all out. It all sounds like a piece of cake, but I know better. This morning, I bring with me a top 10 list. Here are the top 10 problems with live nativity scenes. Number 10, kids, live animals, straw, and torches are a combustible combination. Number nine, Walmart doesn't carry myrrh. Number eight, you have to watch your step around nervous farm animals. Number seven, no one wants to play the innkeeper. Number six, church pyromaniacs fight to see who gets to rig the Star of Bethlehem. Number five, shoving matches break out between new moms over whose baby gets to play the Christ child. Number four, camels can spit. Number three, kids in the youth group think it's cool to burn the frankincense. Number two, chilly north winds cut through those white sheets worn by the angels. And the number one problem with having a live nativity scene, it is the pastors, not their wives, who have to shovel up all of the cow chips. There are certainly a lot of details that go into pulling off a live reenactment of the Christmas drama. But imagine the work that God put into the original nativity. This was the drama of the ages. Almighty God invaded planet Earth. Centuries of preparation and prediction had set the stage. Precise timing led to the crucial moment. The scope of the drama was breathtaking, played out on three continents. It's hard enough to get paid actors to perform on cue, but God manipulated unknowing earthly players from his director's chair in heaven. Specific props were prearranged. Backdrops were ordered ahead of time. Even spectacular special effects were added. And that doesn't even mention the miracle that was at the center of it all. A virgin named Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, and God himself became a human being. Hollywood's big-budget blockbusters pale in comparison to the effort and time and cost that God spent to create and produce his Christmas drama. Last time we were together, we looked at the cast of Christmas, the characters, both the good guys and the bad guys, and we learned how to tell them apart. This week, we want to examine the sets of Christmas, the backdrops and props and special effects. You see, the Christmas drama occurred on location in diverse and numerous places. Sets were scattered all across the the ages and around the world, from the halls of Gentile power, the capital city of Rome, to the mysterious land of Persia, where the star first appeared in the night sky to a stable in an obscure Jewish village called Bethlehem, to a simple house that's only apparent distinction was the same star over its roof. These were the sets and the scenes for God's Christmas drama. It's funny how most of the images that come to our minds when we think of Christmas, the Christmas season, really have very little to do with God's nativity drama. When we conjure up Christmas, we envision a snow-blanketed New England countryside with decorated Victorian homes and one-horse open sleighs. Or if we're in a religious mood, we imagine a cozy stable built with pressure-treated pine, covered with sanitized straw and occupied by vaccinated animals. But that's not where God's Christmas drama begins. You see, Luke opens up the Christmas narrative in chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. God's Christmas drama begins with a ruler in Rome. To appreciate the first Christmas, forget those snow-covered meadows and horse-drawn sleighs. And think about the marbled halls and Roman palaces. Palatine Hill there in Rome was just off the famous Forum. It was the seat of power for most of the known world. The home of the Caesar overlooked an avenue of temples and shrines dedicated to countless Greek gods. The temples were interspersed with arches, each one bearing tribute to another of the conquests of Rome and her generals. What is God doing in the center of pagan power? Why did God go to Rome for Christmas? I'm not sure it's theologically correct to say it, but God had a problem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 predicted that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, and yet the pregnant virgin was in a Galilean town called Nazareth, a hundred miles north. How could God convince a prudent man like Joseph to take his expectant wife on a marathon walk south to the town of Bethlehem? And it was not an easy walk. You know, the pictures you see of Mary on the back of a donkey are probably not very realistic. Donkeys were scarce at the time and available usually only to the rich. Joseph and Mary more likely hoofed it down the Jordan Valley to Jericho and then climbed the 4,000 feet incline to Bethlehem. To give you an idea of what was involved, imagine an expectant mother in her ninth month of pregnancy hiking to the top of Pikes Peak. That's when you begin to understand the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Hey, let me suggest, nothing short of a royal decree from the Caesar himself could have ever prompted Joseph to make such a trip. Yet that is exactly what God engineered. The Christmas drama begins when God goes to work in the heart of the emperor in Rome. Octavian was his given name, but he took the title Augustus which means revered one or worshipped one. And I'll let you in on a little secret. When a person calls himself the worshipped one, that probably means he has a problem with pride. Augustus wanted to showcase the vastness of his empire to demonstrate the extent of his power, so he ordered a census. Hey, he could boss around the world's citizenry, force everyone to return to their hometown. This showed off his muscle, and it created some fresh statistics to enhance his boasts. And so he penned a decree, but little did he know that God was at work on the end of his pen. For the August one in Rome, the single most powerful individual in the world became God's pawn. God used this Augustus. The Caesar in Rome became a puppet on a string. God's marionette, we call him. God manipulated the emperor so Mary's baby would be born in Bethlehem. You see, the world had bowed to this emperor, but though he didn't know it, this emperor was actually bowing to the will of God. See, the drama of Christmas was initiated by a work of providence. Providence is the overarching, prevailing, sovereign will of God. It's been said God's ways are behind the scenes. But he moves all the scenes that he is behind. None of us is the captain of our own ship, the master of our own fate. God works in our lives, whether we know it or not, carrying out his purposes. When this Augustus died in 14 A.D., his final words were the last lines from a popular Roman comedy. He said, Since well I have played my part, clap now your hands and with applause dismissed me from the stage. Staring death in the face, Octavian admitted the truth, that he was not his own God, that he was a mere actor on the stage of life. The true God had been directing the drama. Well, realize, wherever you find yourself this Christmas, the circumstances you're facing, the people you're with, the place you're at, understand it's no accident. For God has, at the very least, allowed your life to gravitate to this point. Hey, from your perspective, you might think your situation makes no sense, but God has a definite plan. I heard once of an educational toy that was marketed one Christmas to children. It came disassembled, and no matter how hard you tried, it was impossible to put the pieces together. They were deliberately designed not to fit. The toy was supposed to teach children how to approach life when circumstances don't make sense. And that's how life can be at times. Events don't seem to neatly fit fit together. Some situations don't seem logical. But nevertheless, God is at work. He is behind the scenes, pulling the pieces into place. He works on our behalf. He works for the good of those who love God and who are committed to His purposes. Reminds me of the family who bought a nativity set one Christmas for their front yard. When they unwrapped the package, though, they found that they had two baby Jesuses. Well, this concerned the mother. She was convinced that one of the other sets had to be missing a baby Jesus, and some poor family would end up without Jesus in their nativity scene. Well, she returned to the hardware store where she had bought the set, and she posted a sign by the remaining boxes. It read, anyone missing, baby Jesus, call 472-7162. But she never received a call. She figured the incomplete set had gone to another store. Then on Christmas Eve, her phone rang. A young mother was on the other end of the phone. Her husband had recently left her and her three kids. She had been cleaning out the hardware store at night, trying to put bread on the table. That morning, she and the kids had awakened to a frigid house and a broken heater. This young single mom, she had jotted down the number that she had seen on the sign in the store. She figured it had to belong to someone who might want to help one day. Well, suddenly it all made sense to the lady who had posted the sign. Why the family had gotten the two babies in the nativity set. Why the lady had felt so compelled to post the sign. It all made sense. God had orchestrated another Christmas drama. He had arranged events and people to make sure that an abandoned mother and three kids didn't miss the love of Jesus that Christmas. In David Heller's wonderful little book, Children's Letters to God, Heller shares a letter sent by a seven-year-old girl named Wendy. The little girl writes to the Lord, Dear God, did you think Christmas would turn out like this when you started it? Love, Wendy. When you look at the props and the backdrops of the Christmas drama, it forces you to ask the same question. God, is this how you meant for it to turn out? Why was Jesus born in a stable and not in the best hospital? Why did you choose peasants for parents instead of millionaires or movie stars? God, you didn't do it the way we would have. Did an angel bungle the preparations? And the answer would be an emphatic no. My point is, is that every detail in God's Christmas drama was there for a very specific reason. And what's even more startling is that God has likewise carefully arranged the details of every Christmas since. Even your Christmas, even this year. Perhaps he's at work right now providing you an opportunity to help a person who's missing Jesus. Just maybe there's a divine reason you can't go home this year for Christmas. Or you're unable to get the vacation days you wanted. Or your rotation at work happens to fall on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Perhaps God is producing another Christmas drama, one that involves you and the people around you. Well, there's another set that we need to explore in this Christmas drama. This time we jump continents from European Rome to Oriental Babylon. We're in the mysterious land of Persia in a Middle Eastern court. And there before us are a host of bizarre characters known as magi. Why would God go to Babylon for Christmas? Yet these were the first people to notice the strange star that had appeared in their western sky. They followed it and arrived in the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. And there they tell King Herod in Matthew chapter 2, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Even the drama of Christmas came complete with special effects. Not a laser show, but a celestial sign. Another Babylonian, an earlier ancestor of the Magi, a soothsayer named Balaam had been hired by the king of Moab to call on his God to curse the Hebrews. But every time the prophet Balaam opened his mouth to utter a curse, the Lord filled it with a blessing. It was in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that Balaam prophesied, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 1,500 years earlier, Balaam had pointed his future colleagues in Babylon to the eternal king that would rise out of Israel and the star that would help to identify him. Daniel, the Hebrew prophet who joined the ranks of the Magi later while the Jews were in Babylon, also predicted the exact time that Messiah would present himself to Israel. This made the Magi aware that the time was drawing near. They had one eye in the Jewish scriptures and one eye on the night sky. But what was it they saw? What shone in the sky that pointed them to Jesus? Well, in 1603, a famed astronomer, his name was Johannes Kepler, he was in Jerusalem when he observed an interesting alignment of Saturn and Jupiter in the heavens. From Jerusalem, the planets aligned in the direction of Bethlehem. Kepler recalled a prophecy by a Jewish rabbi named Abarbanel. The rabbi predicted a conjunction would occur between Saturn and Jupiter in the constellation of Pisces just before the coming of the Messiah. Kepler did some quick calculations and he discovered that particular alignment that he had observed occurred once every 800 years. Now, he saw this in 1603, which meant that around the birth of Christ, such a phenomena had been visible in the night skies over the land of Israel. Now, Kepler's theory is a possibility, but I wonder how an alignment of the planets gave the wise guys the precise information to navigate to the exact house. To me, it's more likely that the star the wise men saw was something supernatural kind of a supernatural GPS, a miraculous phenomenon. Perhaps the wise men were led to Bethlehem as the Israelites were led through the wilderness, a cloud by day and a fire by night. No one knows for sure. But I have no doubt if Steven Spielberg can fill the silver screen with special effects, then the Almighty God can work a few across the celestial canvas. Another truth I know for sure is that that star still shines. In one way or another, God continues to lead and draw men to His Son, Jesus. I love the words of author John Wallace. The message of Christmas is that we should never give up on God. Look for Him anywhere, but especially in your worst of times. God's message at Christmas is that help is on the way. Christmas teaches us that God is not beyond using special effects when necessary. Whether the star shines through a friend or through a Sunday sermon, through a neighbor's generosity or a little child's hug, through a supernatural encounter or a verse of scripture, God is drawing you this Christmas to worship His Son Jesus. Yes, in a million different ways, the Star of Bethlehem still shines brightly every year at Christmas time. Well, next in God's drama, the scene shifts again from the plains of Persia to a suburb of Jerusalem called Bethlehem, from a Persian palace to a simple stable. Once a tough guy from South Philly, he was asked where Jesus was born. He said, I think it was in Philadelphia. Well, he was told to try again. Well, it must have been in Pittsburgh. Finally, the questioner gave him the answer. He said, no, it was Bethlehem. The guy replied, that's right, Bethlehem. I knew it was somewhere in Pennsylvania. But if you'd been around at the time, you might not have known where Bethlehem was either. It was an obscure outpost on the edge of the Judean desert, as the famous carol calls it, "O little town of Bethlehem. A youth pastor once tried to explain to his students that Bethlehem was just this tiny little village. He told them, he said, Bethlehem was so small, they didn't even have a pizza hut. One of the kids replied, what about a Little Caesars? (laughs) Several years ago, the San Francisco Chronicle listed the top 10 tourist disappointments. These were the 10 biggest bummers in the world of travel. One of the top two was Plymouth Rock. Has anyone other than me been to Plymouth Rock? A few of you have. Once I did a men's retreat in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I was so excited to run down and see the famous landmark. I thought I was going to be standing on a cliff jutting out from the coastline. Instead, Plymouth Rock is a miserable little pebble is what it is. It's a definite tourism bust. But the number three site on the paper's list of tourist disappointments was the renowned city of Bethlehem. To most tourists, Bethlehem is also a bummer. Unkept buildings, dirty sidewalks, walls defaced with Arabic graffiti, boarded up windows, overflowing trash, hooligans prowling the streets. The whole city is shrouded in this dingy haze. Today, O oh, little town of Bethlehem could be more accurately rendered, oh, lousy town of Bethlehem. And in the first century, the city was no different. There was no room for Jesus in the Bethlehem Inn. So Mary was forced to give birth in a stable. And understand, nowhere in Judea can you find evidence of stables ever being in the form of wooden shelters. Stables in first century Palestine We're always in caves. Professor Ray Vanderleen, while teaching in Israel, he took his students to a modern-day stable just outside of Bethlehem. It forever shattered the students' image of that first Christmas. They walked in, and piles of sheep droppings littered the floor. The ceiling of the cave was stained with soot from countless fires. A raised platform kept the shepherd's food and belongings away from the hungry sheep. Vanderling says that what impressed his students most were the smells of Christmas. The fragrance of cinnamon and peppermint were non existent in that Bethlehem stable. Rather, the odors of sheep were foul and oppressive. Several of the students lost their lunch. On one of our trips to Bethlehem, we visited a cave that had once served as a stable. It was authentic. It was like the one that Mary and Joseph encountered on their visit. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And this is where I have never seen a nativity set get it right. Our mangers are always wooden boxes with fluffy, clean straw. But Palestinian mangers were carved from stone. They were hollowed out rocks that held feed or water and were stained with animal drool. Hopefully by now you know there's meaning in the scenery God chooses for his dramas. Backdrops and props are there for a reason. They're used by the director to create a mood or to convey a message. And God's drama is no exception. All creation was within God's grasp to create the set that he desired. So why did he choose for his son to be born in a grimy little town like Bethlehem? Why in a dirty stable? Why would God put his only son in a cold, contaminated, carved-out rock manger? Here's the good news. If God visited a city like Bethlehem and was born in a stable and was laid in a feed trough, then know for sure that he wants to be the reachable God, that he isn't aloof, he isn't removed, that he is accessible to you and me. If God came to Bethlehem, he'll visit your neighborhood, or your apartment complex, or your workplace, or the toughest burial in your town. Jesus will journey to the other side of the tracks to reach someone in need. Jesus isn't afraid to get involved in a broken marriage or in a blended family. He isn't squeamish. Jesus isn't scared off by hurting people. In fact, he comes to us at our greatest point, our deepest need. He doesn't mind getting down and dirty to lift us up out of our mess. Remember the lyrics. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The light of Christmas, the Son of God, shines even in dark places, even on mean streets. Well finally the Christmas drama shifts to one more set. Several months have passed now since the birth of Jesus and Joseph has found his family a house to rent. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 tells of the arrival of the trail of the star trailing magi. It says when they had come into the house, notice it's a house now, no longer a stable. They saw the young child, not a baby anymore, now a child, a toddler. With Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. What a scene this must have been. What a grand finale to an epic drama. I say this tongue-in-cheek, but to me, the most amazing aspect of the entire Christmas narrative is that the wise men worship not an innocent baby, but a testy two-year-old. I've wanted to do many things to my kids when they were rambunctious toddlers, but worship them was never one of them. The wise men obviously were convinced that Jesus was special. Oriental kings in a royal caravan, they pull up to the rental house on Maple Street. Curious neighbors peer through the mini blinds. Powerful men are on the living room floor of a 1,200-square-foot ranch. Men who hold the destiny of nations in their hands are seen lying prostrate in front of a diapered toddler. That is truly amazing. An ordinary house in an ordinary neighborhood with an ordinary set of parents and what appeared to be an ordinary child, yet an extraordinary event unfolded. Mysterious visitors bow to the child and they call him king. As Max Lucado writes, God dances amidst the common, and that night he did a waltz. In the Christmas drama, God invaded the commonplace, and God does this again and again at Christmas time. You think the only remarkable thing about your life is how unremarkable it is, but if that's the case, you're a prime target for God's intervention, for He loves to reveal Himself to ordinary people living in ordinary places. And on the floor of this ordinary house in Bethlehem are the three most famous Christmas props, a chest of gold, a vial of frankincense, and a vase of myrrh. Gold was the treasure of a king. Frankincense, the tools of a priest. And myrrh was an embalming fluid. It was the preparation for a man who had been born to die. What strange gifts to give to a young child. Yet I can't think of three more appropriate presents for Jesus. For Jesus is the king of the universe. He is our great high priest able to usher us into God's presence. And he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what we've covered this morning. God fulfilled a promise. Providence prevailed. A star pointed the way. God came to a filthy town, a dirty stable, a hollowed-out rock to show us just how low love would go to lift us up. He came to an ordinary place to save ordinary people and to perform his extraordinary work in our ordinary lives. There in a house not much bigger than the stable, a few early visitors saw what millions since have discovered that the babe of Bethlehem is the light of the world. And he is worthy to be worshipped with all of our lives. And here is the crux of this morning's lesson. It all mattered. It all mattered. The circumstances, the timing, the props, the town, the star, the stable, the house. Each ingredient had a special purpose in the development and outcome of God's Christmas drama. In the movie biz, there's a term used to describe a set that's ready for filming. It's called a hot set. On a hot set, everything is important. Nothing can be disturbed. I heard of a movie set that contained an ashtray that was holding some ashes. And just before filming, uh, a conscientious stagehand, he saw it and he decided to empty the tray of ashes. He nearly lost his job. For in throwing the ashes away, he unknowingly was throwing out clues pertinent to the story. You don't mess with a hot set. And my point is, is that in God's Christmas drama, it too was played out on a hot set. Everything from the props to the places to the special effects were all arranged by God's own hand for his exact and special purposes. See, here's the thought I want to leave you with with this morning. Perhaps. Just maybe your life is also a hot set. You are where you are. What's happened has happened. You're with who you're with. You're in what you're in. You've got what you've got. You lack what you lack. All for very specific reasons. And remember, you don't mess with a hot set. God is in control. God has you where he wants you. Stop getting in his way. Let God direct the action. Elizabeth Elliot once prayed, Lord, please never rescue me from what you know will make me more like Jesus. If God is currently using your heartaches and your hardships to mold you into the likeness of Jesus, be patient, have faith, let him do his work in your life. Perhaps there's a personal drama that God has planned for you this Christmas season. God's drama of the ages began that first Christmas, but who knows if it won't continue this year in and through your life. Father.